Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. I'm Rod. And you're listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. In today's episode, we are covering the October 15th sermon titled, When Doctrine Dominates. And let's start there. So last week, you had Feeding Doubt as your title, which is something that you don't want to do. And this week, you have When Doctrine Dominates. So is this something bad? Is this like a, another theme that you're going with? Yeah, you know, theology or, or doctrine, I'm using those terms very loosely here, are like guardrails that, that kind of keep us on track. But there is a sense in which we put so much weight on our doctrine or our theology that we end up making Scripture subject to that doctrine or that theology. We end up twisting Scripture to fit our theology. And so I titled it that because I want it front and center for people to remember that Scripture uh, is always served by doctrine. Scripture never serves doctrine. Or another way to put it, Scripture is always over doctrine. It's always greater than doctrine. If we reverse that and we put doctrine over Scripture, then we end up manipulating, massaging, moving Scripture to a place that fits our theology instead of moving our theology to fit the Scripture. So yeah, that's it's, it's kind of a, a backwards play because doctrine should not dominate exclusively. It, our doctrine always needs to be open to being changed by Scripture. And one of the very popular documents that you brought in was the Westminster Confession, which is one of those tools that is supposed to help us understand these doctrines and theology. You mentioned that in Article 18, it has a statement about assurance of salvation. Can you explain what that is, and just a little a little bit more about what they mean by that. Yeah, the Westminster Confession was, uh, was put together as kind of, you know, here are what Protestants believe. And it, it goes through various understandings, like in the very first article, what, what books should be in the Bible. And that's why our book, uh, our Bible, would differ, say, from some Catholic Bibles. So it goes through there, and, and it talks about various subjects. And in Article 18, it talks about assurance and saving faith, or, or assurance and faith. And it has four bullet points under that. And the third bullet point says, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm quoting, but paraphrasing, I'm not reading it exactly, says that assurance is not of the essence of saving faith. So saving faith can be apart from, distinct from, any type of assurance that what Christ is offering one, this is the understanding, doesn't come with assurance at, at that time. And they would see assurance as something to be gained over a period of time, walking with Christ, reading his Bible, uh, setting aside various sins that one might have. That, that's the way they would understand that. What I find fascinating is that both Calvin and Luther did not believe that. Both Calvin and Luther believed that assurance was of the essence of saving faith, that assurance was part and parcel, 
not in its totality, but was part of the offer of saving faith. And I would agree with Calvin and Luther. I was listening to Dr. John Gessner on this, uh, lecturing on this, and I believe if you put the weight on the one that's offering the gift, that just common sense-wise, he wants you to understand the gift he's offering. And he is he's the one that is responsible for giving you that. So there is a difference, uh, and Gester makes this distinction between uh, the assurance of faith and the assurance of hope. And that gets a little confusing, but, but needless to say, what Luther, Calvin, and Rod believe is that assurance is of the essence of saving faith, that you can not only receive the gift, but know that you have received the gift. And that is based on the promise of the gift giver. So another thing that you brought in was a video clip of an interview with Dr. William Lane Craig. And you made a a good point, I think, that uh, Dr. Craig says, you know, he doesn't want to be presumptuous. He doesn't want to assume that he has attained like Paul says, attained to the resurrection, which he was equating to salvation or heaven, I guess. Yeah, the resurrection. Yeah. The, the resurrection to eternity, to heaven. Right. But but I don't think that's my sermon. I worked that. I don't think right. that's but what that's, that's talking so I don't think the context serves that interpretation in any way, shape, or form. Right. So he says, you know, he doesn't want to be presumptuous, and in his view, how he was interpreting it, assume that he attains heaven. Um. But you made a good point in your sermon saying that, you know, Dr. Craig, he doesn't trust in himself to earn it. He, he mentions in the, in the video clip that he doesn't doubt God, he doubts himself and his ability. And you made a great point that that's why God doesn't leave it to us. Exactly. He doesn't give us an opportunity to have works or anything like that in it to where it's on us. It's always on him. And I want to ask you just, you don't usually bring in other preachers or other speakers and their opinions into your sermons. So why did you choose to bring in this clip of this scholar? I have benefited tremendously from uh, Dr. Craig's writings, uh, and I think he's doing just yeoman's work in the field of philosophy and apologetics. Uh, He's all over your Facebook page answering questions and all, and I, I think he's doing great work. However, the reason I brought this in, him specifically, uh, because of what he says, the content of what he says, but I think it's dangerous when people hear someone of his authority, of his knowledge, of his uh, understanding of Scripture, and they say, well, wait a minute, if he isn't sure, and he said right up front that he was not being provocative, if he isn't sure of his salvation— why would I be so arrogant as to believe that I could be sure of mine? And you and I both uh, will refer often to a phrase that Dr. Howard Hendricks would say, that a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. And so uh, whether the intention is humility or not, uh, the fact of the matter is what gets communicated, what gets caught by that teaching is there's no way I can know. And so you're walking around and you're wondering, you know, does he love me? Does he love me not? Have I done enough things? And what I find fascinating about this, Olivia, is this. I've never talked to a parent 
who says it's perfectly okay for my kid not to know that I love them or not. They don't. They just don't take that position. But yet they think God is very much satisfied with that. God wants us to know that he has given us a gift that will last forever. He wants us to, as Paul talks about, I believe, in Philippians chapter 3, live up to that. He encourages us to follow him, to trust him, to live up to that. But it can do real damage when authority figures cling to doctrine that I don't think is supported by Scripture. And it's a biased doctrine. And given the choice, Dr. Craig has to choose his doctrine, his perseverance of the saints theology and his Westminster confession. I would say, well, why can't you choose to follow Calvin or or Luther? And um, that's a problem when doctrine dominates. You need to be open to what Scripture teaches, whether you like it or not whether it fits with your preconceived ideas of what should be, because it's the only thing we have that's definitively from God. God breathed. And I find it interesting in his answer when he said, yes, I do have assurance by the witness of the Holy Spirit. He never mentions by the promises of Christ. Christ promises us eternal life. The giver of the gift knows the nature of that gift. We need to believe his promises for it. And it's really as simple as that. Absolutely. Well, thank you for breaking that down. And thank you all for listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church.